from him. It's now. And God has given this church direction for many years through tongues and interpretation, through visiting ministers, through our pastors, through our teachers, to keep our eyes on him. Don't look to the left or the right, but keep your eyes on him. Because if we're following him, he said he'd never leave us, never forsake us. It, it doesn't mean we won't walk through a time that seems rough. We're living that right now. We're seeing it. We're watching our world turn upside down. But he remains king of kings and lord of lords. And he is not surprised or shaken by any of it. Praise God. He still reigns supreme. So let's set our hearts on him. Let's raise our hands to him right now. And just invite him into your heart and your mind. Lord God, we focus on you. We want your will for this service. We ask that you touch us, that you sweep over us, Jesus, in a mighty way today. Lord God, that you would begin to just remove, God, the residue of the world, God, and walking and, and the things that just attach themselves to us, Lord, that it would be washed away in worship and that it would be washed away by your word, God. We thank you. Strengthen our hearts and our minds. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Quiet the voice of doubt again. Echo within me every promise. Let your word be louder than my fears. Speak to the void when I can't see. Lift up my head in every valley. Let your joy be greater than.
the promises of bring people to me to help me. And they have. And he started eating himself every day. And I wanted to share it because um, everything was just coming. People just come in my heart. If you don't mind, I'd like to share it if I can. Okay.
17 and 18. I'm just gonna keep on moving. 62, 72, 34, wherever you fall in the number. If we ever get a hold of what a surrendered life can do, you will begin to live a life that you never dreamed.
Yeah. 
asked us to do some things for their kids. And uh, I finally looked at one parent and said, do you do realize that I get them for two hours on a Friday night and 45 minutes on a Sunday? And you're expecting me to work miracles in that two and a half, three hours? And you've got them the rest of the week. Uh, we're, we're asking you for an hour. We're asking you for an hour for with your kids. And we promise you that the word of the Lord will be planted. The seeds will be planted. Instruction will be given. And uh, while I don't remember specific Sunday school lessons from when I was that age, uh, I do remember the spirit of it. And I lean on it uh, even to this day. And I'm just about 51 years old. So I want to challenge you to be a part of that. Uh, next Sunday is we're going to have another baptism Sunday. We've had a few people that have asked about being baptized. And so uh, we're going to have another baptism Sunday next Sunday. And uh, we're going to just enjoy that together. So if you'd like to be baptized, you know somebody, let us know. And uh, we'll be ready for that next Sunday. And with that next Sunday, uh, we're going to take a little bit of time in the service for some announcements, or not some announcements, some testimonies. And so if you have a testimony, I know there's a couple that have asked about it today, bring it, save it for next week, and we're going to just set some time aside to testify unto the Lord next Sunday. Looking forward to that. Praise God. Uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord is doing in our Chain Breaker ministry, beginning at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. And uh, I, I've just got to tell you that there's something, again, stirring in my spirit. Uh, because we are living in a society of broken people. And God is wanting to restore us. And uh, so we want to encourage you, if you're interested in that ministry, to come and be a part of it. I know it's going to help. And uh, looking forward to that. Tomorrow night over at Riverdale Church, uh, up on, I think it's Bunker Lake, uh, there's a special service where there's going to be a lady testifying about her overcoming the different things that she's had to deal with and we at seven o'clock uh, we want to open that up to you to go and be a part of that if you'd like second samuel chapter nine i believe that god is here today and i also believe that he doesn't do anything by accident i've said that often but i really don't believe he is an accidental god and i don't think anything ever occurs to him I think he knows it. He's established it. And if there's no accidents with God, it means that you're here for a purpose. And you're not an accident. And you're not here accidentally. So if God's not an accidental God and you're not here accidentally, you might as well receive what he's got for you today. Because he has, let, he has set you up for a divine appointment to hear from him. And uh, yeah, that's all right. Let's worship him a little bit. Because Jesus, Jesus is here. And where Jesus is, is as one old-time Pentecostal preacher said, where Jesus is, anything can happen. And uh, I believe that. I believe that Jesus does all kinds of things in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people, and it's all good. It's all good. Second Samuel chapter 9, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
He summoned a man named Ziba and who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Bacar, the son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Makar's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Here in later, the rest of this message is known as Shitty. Because I'm not saying his name the whole time. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Phoebe. Phoebe replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Phoebe bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? The king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and he said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Phoebe, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and he replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have uh, commanded. And from that time on, Phibi ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. And I want to minister with the help of the Lord this message, crippled but not cast out. Crippled, but not cast out. Would you just one more time just ask the Lord to speak to your heart today? Jesus, we love you and we praise you. I'm asking you, Lord, to fill me up and pour me out upon your people and give us ears and hearts and spirits to receive what you're trying to tell us today. Lord, we look unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We've already promised here today that you would lead us and guide us and be with us. And Lord, we're leaning on that promise. I'm asking you, Lord, now to take us into another realm of your spirit and another uh, revelation of who you are. In your mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Just before we get into this, I forgot one other last thing. On Saturday at 9 o'clock, we're going to have a work day here. How many can come and be a part of that? Saturday at 9 o'clock on the 1st, this coming Saturday. Awesome. Thank you. That'll be great. We're just going to be working. We've got a bunch of mulch coming, and we're going to make the campus look real clean and nice and get it ready to go for summer. Praise God. I find this story to be very interesting. Um, Saul and Jonathan have died uh, and have passed away. And whenever that takes place um, in not only scripture, but in history, when a new king was coming to a throne and was going to take the place of a former king, 
that former king's family was always rounded up and killed because they did not want to have any competition to the throne. And so Mephibosheth, Phibi, he's been living in exile all on his own, so to speak, because he knew and understood that King David was now the king and his rights, if you will, to the throne were no longer valid and he was living under the condemnation of a life sentence, if you will, just because of who he was as Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. In chapter 4 of 2 Samuel, verse number 4, there's a parenthetical uh, verse, if you will, and uh, it's written in here so that we just kind of get a glimpse. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Phibi, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. You see, what happened to this young boy was not his fault. He was crippled, not because of something that he did or some stupid act that he did. I had a friend of mine growing up who was a little bit older and he was just a daredevil of daredevils. And uh, he, we uh, were up at the cabin and uh, he, he built this big ski jump, water ski jump. And uh, it was back when my dad was actually making water skis. And so my dad had made him the special ski jump water skis. And uh, he would go and we'd watch. I apologize for this. This Mike does not do this on Thursday nights. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something in the air. But uh, he built this water ski jump. And so we would watch him as he would go flying off this jump and soar in the air and land and, and continue to, to follow around with the, the boat pulling him. And Well, this guy was that kind of guy. He was just a daredevil of daredevils. And he thought that he would be bright and do the ski jump with trick skis. Now, trick skis are slightly concave, and so you can spin around, and they're kind of like wearing two weight boards on each foot. And, and so you could do all kinds of tricks with them, but they're not made for jumping because they're not going to land. When you land, you're gonna, well, he decided, well, I've done it on these water ski jump skis. I'll, I'll do it with trick skis. Well, when he landed, his legs didn't link it. And he messed up his legs, okay? He's fine today, but it was painful. I, I said that to say this, Phoebe didn't do anything stupid like that. Phoebe was just a five-year-old boy who had royal blood in his veins, who was the rightful heir to the, the throne of King Saul. He was the rightful heir through Jonathan being his father, and now because Jonathan and Saul are both dead and gone, Phoebe has really every right to the throne, but we also recognize that God had already anointed David to be the next king, and David had already ascended to the throne, 
And so this nurse, in all of her care for him and desire to see Phoebe be okay, grabs Phoebe and begins to run. And as she runs, she drops him. And somehow, some way, his ankle bones or his feet or something broke so badly that they didn't have the surgery process back then, but that he was crippled now for the rest of his life. He was assigned a status of being crippled through no act of his own, no thought of his own. He didn't act stupid and do something dumb. He was just dropped by somebody else who was actually trying to care for him, was actually worried about him, was actually trying to protect him. And so I look at this, and while his fall or his drop, if you will, may be accidental, I believe it's also providential. Let me say that again. While the dropping of Phoebe was accidental, I believe it was also providential. In other words, I believe that part of the reason why Phoebe had to go through and what he went was because David was the king at the time, and David was a man after God's own heart, and God understood the rules of heirship into the kingdom, uh, uh, the throne of the kingdom, and so he knew that Phoebe would be uh, thought of as less, and he was doing something to save Phoebe's life. He allowed something into Phoebe's life that would change the course. Because at one point, Phoebe may have grown and nothing would have happened. Maybe he would have gone into exile. But can I tell you how many people, if he would have become a young man at the age of 15, 16, 17, 18, how many people would be whispering in his ear, David's really shouldn't be the king. You should be the king. You need to rise up. You need to make your stand. You need to take back what was rightfully yours. You need How many people, you've seen that all through history, where people start speaking into the ears of quote-unquote royalty to do what they shouldn't really be doing. And so because he became crippled, it was a way that God kept Phoebe safe, but also kept Phoebe from trying to rise up against God's ordained kingdom. Why do I say that? I say that because there are some people sitting in this house who have become spiritually crippled through no act of their own. Not from their stupidity, but you've been dropped, so to speak. Life has dropped you even though you were trying to be protected. But can I just tell you that some of your crippledness is simply there so that God can get glory in your life, so that God can restore you to a place where now you look at Phoebe, and he's not some crippled boy, but he is a king's son, has all the king's possessions. He is now royalty once again. He has been restored to his rightful seat. And some of you have questioned your crippledness, saying, God, why did this happen? Why did that happen? I don't understand it, and I can't see my way through it. And, and I got hooked on this, and I got hooked on that, and I did this, and I did that in my state, and I don't know, I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyhow. Could I, why, God, what in the world is going on? Could I just say that it could be that something dropped you when you were not waiting great? not ready for it and was waiting for something different but in your dropping it crippled your spirit it crippled your mind but God has stepped to the forefront of your life today to restore you to draw you back to the king's table Phoebe was a product of somebody else's failure 
There are some people here who are living and have lived under the cloud of abuse. I took my glasses off because I can't see past the front of the pulpit now. So if this is registering you, it's not me registering it. It's the Spirit of God is trying to speak. Some of you have dealt with abuse your entire life. Whether it be physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse. Some of you come from a church that you were spiritually abused. And not because maybe they didn't know that they were abusing you, but because you were in a place where that spiritual abuse was going on and it just kind of fell on your shoulders accidentally. Fibby was a product. His identification mark was his crippledness. And his identification mark had nothing to do with him. He was a product of somebody else's failure. Listen, am I casting off blame for our bad decisions and, and our shortcomings? By no means am I doing that. But what I am saying, if you peel back the core of who you are, almost all of us at some time or another in our life, took upon us something that was not from us, but something that a teacher said, something that a preacher said, somebody that a parent said, something that an aunt or uncle said, or something that a cousin or a friend said, and it, it, it pierced us, and it, it troubled us, and in the back of our mind, we even tried to push it aside, but it was always back there ringing up. Yeah, he's just a failure. He'll never amount to anything. He'll never amount to anything. Why don't you just... It, it, it's really not. I had people in my life who didn't necessarily question my call. They just didn't... They just didn't recognize how so loud I was to it. Friends that I went to school with that didn't understand why I walked around a senior high school, public high school, with a stack of Bible quizzing cards in my hand. Yeah, I was a nerd. <laughs> Paul's brother Mike did the same thing. We were on the same Bible quiz team. We'd memorize books of the Bible and we would purchase these cards that they would print. And on one side was the scripture and the other side was the reference. And we would sit in study hall and in the library and we'd hand the cards to our friends and say, okay, check us out. And so they would ask they would ask us what the reference was, quote Acts 1-4. And we would rattle it off and they would be astounded. They didn't understand the, the, the concept of me selling out by quitting hockey because I knew that if I pursued hockey it was going to lead me down a road that I really didn't want to go down even though I loved the game of hockey. I had people that wondered what my backup plan was when the ministry didn't work out. Well-meaning individuals that when I told them I was going to become a preacher. See, I knew what I was doing in, in eighth or ninth grade. I, I don't say that to pat myself on the back. What, I, what I'm trying to tell somebody is everybody, all of us, have at some point in time have had to live with something that someone has done or said to us, and we embraced it. 
So when things got hard and I had a young wife and I was making $8 an hour at the post office and $200 a month at the church trying to figure out how to make it in life as a young couple, sometimes I remember questioning, well, why didn't I have a backup plan? Why didn't I do it this way? Why didn't I do it that way? And I question sometimes even my calling because my calling, listen, the calling of God does not always take you into the glamorous. Now I love my wife. I've always loved her. But I haven't always put her in the place where she really deserved to be. We bought a house, rented a house, thank God we didn't buy it. That was an old, beat up church building. And I've shared this with some of you before. I'm thinking, God, I'm gonna be a preacher. I'm gonna be a youth pastor. And I'm gonna drive a nice car and I'm going to have a nice house, and I'm going to have a nice family. What he didn't tell me was that I was going to have a Buick Regal, that I had to duct tape the windshield on, that I had to change the oil every week, that I was able to finally trade in for an old Dodge Shadow, that was able to change my rent payment from $800 to $400, but I was going from a three-bedroom, two-bath townhome that was absolutely drop-dead gorgeous in the highest, nicest part of town to the worst part of town into an old church that had been reconfigured to be a house where our living room was the sanctuary and where our master bedroom, I said master bedroom, was a Sunday school room with the old, dark 1960s, 70s corkboard walls. Where you opened up the kitchen sink, my mother-in-law one day opened, I know where all the stuff is coming because right under the sink it just went right outside. <laughs> Walked in one afternoon after a Sunday, so remind, I'm reminding you, I'm doing the will of God. I'm teaching and I'm preaching and I'm investing in these teenagers. And some of those teenagers you wanted to wring their necks and some of them you wanted to embrace. But I was doing it, and I was married to the woman that God sent for me so that we could do it together, and we come walking home one Sunday, and my mother-in-law, I don't know why she was there all the time when this happened, but she walked in, and we heard water running. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. And we walk in, and the washing machine is just water just going everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, everything's going to be soaked. We're going to be flooded out. Nope. Because the floor in the house was uneven. <laughs> and there was a gap under the sliding glass door. And so as the water was shooting out and landing on the floor, it just ran right out of the house. I didn't even need to get towels out. Why did I say all that? Is because I can almost promise you there were people in my life saying, identifying me, not with my calling, they were identifying me with this pit that we were living in. 
We didn't invite adults to our house. The teenagers didn't care. We had them over all the time. We had holes in our floor because they replaced the church floor with one-by-ones and sheets of plywood that I don't think were very thick sheets of plywood. And then they threw a thing of carpet on top. And you could hear the mice running underneath. Am I saying that for a pity party? No, no. God had me right where we needed him. In the midst of that, we started three small groups. We ministered to two different cities. Because of where we lived, we were now closer to a city across the state. And we drove across the state once a week and did a group over there as well. Can I just tell you that when you realize that your identification does not come from your situation, but your identification comes from the king? You see, Phoebe was living with the identification that he was a cripple, not because of anything he did, but he took upon him the failure of somebody else. And because he took upon him the failure of somebody else, he became known as Phoebe the crippled boy. And some of you are sitting here today and you have identified yourself as a crippled person, not because of something that you did, but you absorb what somebody said. You absorb the abuse of a father or the abuse of a mother or the abuse of an uncle or an aunt or a teacher or whatever it is. And because of the abuse, you just wanted to escape. And so you got mixed up in all kinds of things. And you did all kinds of things and you shut yourself down. Can I just tell you, that's not who you are. You are a child of God. You are a created son and daughter of the creator of the universe. You should not be identified as crippled because of something else that happened to you. But God is getting ready to restore you. You see, the nurse was the cause for his shame. I'm just, I'm just a cripple. He was known by his fall. Can I tell you that we are known by our fall? And we have taken on us the shame of Adam and Eve. And we have become crippled in spirit, unable to walk in the ways of the Lord, unable to do the things that God wants us to do. And we have not only done that, but we have been shifted to Lodabar. What a name. Where are you from, Lodabar? Can I tell you what Lodabar means? Dabar in Hebrew means the word of God. And the word lo means none of. The heir to the throne that God had designed was now living in a town called without the word of God. That's where I want to be. It was known as a town of poverty. It was known as a town of outcasts, of those that society had turned their backs on. You went to Lodabar to get away from the successful people. And this young boy, Phoebe, gets dropped and crippled. And now the one that was the true heir to the throne 
was now living in a place of poverty, a place of the castaway, a place of the forgotten, a place of those that didn't mean all that much. But thankfully, there was a king who had a heart after God. There was a king that through the relationship that he had with uh, Phoebe's father, Jonathan, and there was a king that was wanting to pick him up from Lodabar. Now, I'm reading between some of the lines here, but can you imagine being Ziba? getting called before the king and we don't understand really kingship but the king can't even put his thumb down or put his thumb up you're living or dead based off the word of the king and Ziba comes crawling into the king's quarters David asks him is there anybody left of Saul's household <laughs> now remember Ziba was Saul's servant I can wonder in just a moment of time, did Ziba think, should I really tell him or should I really not tell him? In that moment, I see a characteristic of Ziba that's revealed. The characteristic is, am I going to be loyal to the king that gave up the anointing or am I going to be loyal to the king with the anointing? Some of us fulfill the role of Ziba we go and we lead the king to others. We reach out for people. We're a servant of the, and the question today is, are you going to be loyal to that which was or to that which is? Because that which was is, is no longer really in existence. It's dead man walking area. It's, it's foul ground area. Why don't you attach yourself and become loyal to the king of kings and the lord of lords? Why do you waver between two worlds? Why do you try to live in that which is old instead of, uh, instead of totally surrendering to that which is new? Listen. Uh, Lot's wife was somebody that tried to live in the old and the new. And if you read the story in there, she became a salt pillar. She turned as she's walking away from the destruction of her past and she's walking towards the promise of her future and she just has to take a glance. And she looks back. Bam. Steak seasoning. You see... I say that a little comical, but how many of us have been walking towards our future, the promise of what God has, but we just got to take that glance back. And thankfully, God's grace is sufficient for our weakness so that we don't turn out like Lot's wife. But can I tell, I'm not even talking about the sinful past. I'm talking about there's some things that I've had to walk away from as a preacher that I cannot pick up anymore. The good things that God gave me. There's some things that got me from one place to the other that if I tried to go into my next uh, segment of life, my next segment of my journey, if I try to do it the way I did it when I was 30, I'm going to be an utter failure because that which was when I was 30 was for when I was 30. I need something for now when I'm 50. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Where are you going to be, Ziba? Are you going to be attached to your past or are you going to step into your future? Where are you going to be, saint of God? Are you so connected to the good things and the bad things of your past that you're not letting God? Listen, when God leads you to the next thing and pushes you into the next arena of life, yes, there may be some things that you have to disconnect from in the past. There may be some things that, not that you do it out of hate or out of spite, but God builds things up to get us to the next level of where he has for us and he gets us to a place where he can then begin to move and that which was scaffolding of life that God has built to that point doesn't go with us. I have yet to see a new home with scaffolding still around it. And there are some things in life that God allows into our life to build us up so that we can step into the future. Can I just tell you as much as I liked Cato, he was our superintendent on the job here. I enjoyed coming and talking to him and we'd laugh and, and get things done. If he was still working here today, I'd be a little upset. <laughs> it was a great day when Cato handed us the keys and said, it's all done. Enjoy the next. Now, I hope Cato comes back when we expand, but until that day, I don't want him working here. I'd love to have him come and be a part of us, but I don't want him having to figure out how to get the carpet down and get the platform built and get the walls up. That's already been done. I don't need Cato for that. I needed Cato when we didn't have walls. I haven't talked to Cato in months because I don't like him. No, he's awesome. But the time for that relationship was then. There's a different time now. I've got to be sidelined and say, I know I was Saul's servant. I know I was Jonathan's servant. I was part of the world. I have a good background. I've got a good resume. But God, but David, you're calling me into this. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to sell up to you, David. And he snitched. He said, oh yeah, there it is. There's one boy. His name is Phoebe. But he's crippled in both feet. I wonder why he said that. I wonder why he identified him that he was crippled. Was he doing it because he feared what David would do because Phoebe was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson? Was he trying to protect Phoebe? Or was he just making a statement? I think it was two reasons. I think there was a certain effect saying... David, yeah, it's his son, but you don't need to do anything because he can't do anything against you. But here's the other thing. Even Ziba understood the identification of that person. Because he identified Phoebe not only as Jonathan's son, but as a crippled person. Some of you have lived your life with the identification, not of who you really are, but what situation you've been in. So David says, well, go get him. Now, when David says to come, I don't know how long after this is, because we don't really understand exactly how old Phoebe is when he comes in to eat at David's table. Maybe it was five years, 10 years. Maybe he's 12, 15 years old. Maybe it's been 15 years. I don't know how long it was. I know he wasn't an old man yet. 
This young man is now unsure. Can you imagine? Oh, Nurse Ratchet, I've, you've kept me safe away from David. This one. And you've helped me. But he found me. He helped me. But now he's found me. And I have a choice to make. Do I go or do I run? But nurse, the last time I ran, look where it got me. So I think I'm going to go. Somebody here has to be tired of running. It hasn't gotten you where you thought it would get you. So my challenge is stop running and come to the king. Yes, you may be crippled. Yes, you may be broken. But come anyhow. Because you may have gotten crippled in the midst of your run the last time. So, for fear of his life, Phoebe comes and falls before David. I'm just a servant. David said, you are no servant. Can, can I just tell you what that had to do in verse number uh, 7? Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here at the king's table. Can you imagine? David didn't mention anything about his crippledness. Why? Because David understood who Phoebe really was. He wasn't a crippled boy. He was the son of royalty. He didn't recognize who he was as a handicapped individual that couldn't walk, couldn't run, couldn't do things. He understood Phoebe to be of royal bloodlines. And so he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to call you to the king's table. Not as a kindness just to you, but as a kindness to who you have become. Because you are of a royal lineage. You are a holy person because of your father. And because of that, you are welcome at the king's table at any time. And not only are you welcome at the king's table, I'm going to restore everything that was meant for you to begin with. Can I just tell somebody today, Jesus is standing at the doorstep of your soul. And he's saying, come to me. I don't see your crippledness. I see your royal bloodline. at my table. You belong at my table. I created you when you were just a, just a seedling. I created you in my mind back before time even began. You are my chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. I don't care whether you're crippled or not. You belong with me. I don't identify you by what you have become. I don't identify with you by what you have done. I identify you by who your creator is. In David's case, Phoebe's creator was John. 
receive that right now. Everything that you lost, when you became crippled, when you lost out on that which was taken, when that abuse took your innocence, when that addiction took your sanity, when that hatred took your soul, when that wrath took your uh, patience, when that anger overwhelmed you, I'm just getting ready to tell somebody by the word of the Lord, it doesn't matter where you've been or where you've gone. Here's the only thing that matters. You are the apple of his eye. You are the sweetest thing in his experience. And he wants to restore to you everything. And from that day forward, Phoebe is no longer Saul's and is no longer Jonathan's. Phoebe becomes David's. And he sits at the table, the Bible says, as one of David's sons. I know some of you are having a hard time receiving this because it goes against everything you've ever been taught or spoken. But when God restores you, he doesn't restore you to your Jonathan. He doesn't restore you to your, your lineage, your ancestry, your great-great-granddaddy. It doesn't go all the way back to that. Here's where it goes to. You were once an heir of this. You have now been adopted into my family. You are now my child. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. You are no longer an offspring of whatever caused you to get to that place. It's the reason why our chain breaker ministry isn't a recovery ministry. It's a restoration ministry. Because I don't want people going back to their childhood. I want people to get to David. Because at David's table is where the King of Kings is and the Lord of Lords is and where Jesus is. Everything is in its right place. There's two other things. Give me five more minutes. I know we're at, right at noon. Just give me five more minutes. There's two other things I've got to bring up. Number one, I find it interesting that all of David's kids around the table, when Phoebe got pushed into the table and sat to the table, they didn't recognize his legs because they couldn't see him. They were under the table. Can I tell you, at that moment around David's uh, table, that every single one of those kids and Phoebe himself, they were all on equal footing. They were all on equal setting. They were not one or the other. They were all right there at the table. Can I tell you, when the blood of the Lamb covers your crippledness, you get a seat at the table, and you are on equal standing with anybody else. It doesn't matter what background you have. If you think you've been holy or unholy, whether you think you've been lost or you haven't been lost, it doesn't matter. You are all the same at the table yeah. of our Lord. There is no hierarchy. There is no better than. There is no compared to. We do this all the time in our humanity. We do it with our natural kids. We'll sit with the four of us and there's times where we can compare the two boys. And they're different. 
and they're alike in some ways. But they're not better than or less than. Because Owen's Owen and Declan's Declan. And at my table, they're my boys. But then, lastly, and this is what I need somebody to get today. David restores to Phoebe all of his authority and all of his power and all of his anointing. What are you talking about, Pastor? What authority? What power? What anointing? I'll tell you what power anointing. David or King Saul was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. Listen, the anointing flows downward. The anointing. And so in a royal setting, you have opportunity to claim the anointing and the authority of your forefathers. You have the anointing. Listen, well, but none of my parents ever lived for God. Well, then be happy because now you've got something to pass on to your family because God has chosen you to anoint you and while you have a fresh anointing there's an anointing that was listen I've got the anointing of I'm a sixth generation fifth generation apostolic Pentecostal they're sixth generation and and, and and these little one girls over here they're seventh generation seven generations of anointing are sitting on those girls that they have the opportunity to grab a hold of not because of something that they'll do but because of a sacrifice that was paid from our ancestors a long time ago. The people that I have never met, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to find them and I'm going to say, thank you for coming under the anointing of God because well, I may not have done it the way you did it and you didn't do it the way I did it. Because of that, I had the opportunity to grab a hold of the things of God for myself. And here's what I believe that they're going to say, that great, great, great grandmother down the road is going to look at me and say, I was the first of my family, but it was so good to be able to pass it on to somebody else. Listen, I don't care if you're first generation or seventh generation. The anointing of God was given to you at your birth because God created us. And when God created us, he created us good. And so when you come to the table, no matter how crippled, how disfigured, how messed up, and how destroyed your life has been, when you come and slide under the table of the king, he looks at you and he says, okay, I'm restoring your authority and your anointing. Phoebe went out from that time. And here's what I like. He, King David gave him everything that was Saul's. And Ziba was blessed by David to now go back to where he originally was called to minister. When I was called at a young age, I figured when I, I was 11 or 12, I figured, yeah, Minnesota. Nate Saban wrote a song years ago called Missing Minnesota Tonight. I wore it out while I lived with it. <laughs> I never dreamed when I pulled out in August of 1988 
headed east on I-94, all the way out to Dover, Delaware, that it would take 20 years to come back. But the moment we came back, this didn't hit me till late last night. You see, the day that we moved back here to Minnesota for good was December 18th, 2008. You know what that day was? That was the viewing for my grandfather. Frank Sr. I came ahead of my wife and my in-laws. They came up behind me. I parked our moving van in front of my parents' house. I went in, I changed clothes, and we went to the church for the viewing for Sr. Had the funeral the very next day. After the funeral, had the cousins over an unpacking party. They hated it. Because I had a thousand books at the time. But it hit me last night as I was thinking of this. If I put myself in this story, isn't it incredible that God brings me back to my home as my grandfather's going to his new home? Fibby, who was in Lodabar, crippled, was restored, and all that was his grandfather's was released to him. <laughs> Listen, you may say, well, I don't have that lineage. I don't have a grandma and a grandpa that served God like you did. I don't have a parent that, that I've never been. This is, I'm brand new to this thing. If it wasn't for somebody like Dave Johnson, I wouldn't have any clue about what a church service is. I'm, I'm brand, I don't know anything. Let me just close with this scripture. It's in the book of Galatians. I believe. way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves that they, until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law and so that we could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father, that's, a, that's the tender term for daddy. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Yes, you may not have had an earthly father or a mother, 
that served God or a grandparent that did. I'm thankful that I did. But I'm even more thankful that a God gave us a spirit that we can cry unto him. Abba. Daddy. So you may have an advantage because not only is he restoring authority to you, but if you didn't have any earthly authority or anointing in your life beforehand, you're getting it fresh from him. I invite you to stand. Listen. We have entered a season today. It just felt heavy at the start of the service. But here's what I know. Before the start of every restoration comes a heaviness. There was heaviness on Ziba. There had to be heaviness on the nurse. Can you imagine how that nurse felt? After she, I'm just assuming that she was still around. Maybe she wasn't, but it wasn't that many years. I don't think she was probably still taking care of Debbie. To look and see the mistake that she made or the accident that she had, God turned it out for him to be restored to the king's table. Release that from me. There had to be weight on Phoebe himself. There had to be some weight on David. You see, here's what the weight is. Weight is equivalent to glory. Look it up. If you look up the word glory, you're going to see the word heavy, weighty. What were we feeling in here? Glory has been settling in on Spirit of Grace Church over the last couple of weeks. And when glory sets in, it gets heavy. But that heaviness is always the precursor to an explosion of the power of God. Some of you have made drastic changes in your life in the last couple of months. Some of you have been dealing with emotional hurts. Some of you have been dealing with physical ailments. Some of you have been dealing with religious struggles. You've been abused, whether knowingly or not, in a spiritual sense. And maybe it's just been the enemy that's abused you because you knew God was calling you into something else, but you didn't want to let go of that which you had. just tell you, you may be crippled today, but you are not cast out. You are meant to be at the table of the Lord. You are meant to be in the presence of God. 
And he's getting ready to dump a fresh anointing on you right now. If every eye closed, if, if you're here today and this has been speaking to you, you, you relate to what Phoebe was going through and you feel crippled in your spirit, you feel crippled in your emotions and you all kinds of things and you've just been waiting for the king to call you. He's been calling you here today. If that's you, would you respond just by raising your hands in his presence? All across this congregation, hands have gone up. Now I'm going to ask you, would you just begin to seek his face? Jesus, I am praying for every hand that is raised right now. By the authority of the word of God and the power that's in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, pour out a fresh anointing right now. Lord, let them feel it as it were a bucket of water above their heads, soaking them to the sole of their feet. Let them recognize the resurrection of the anointing and the authority. Let them recognize the place at your table. Let them recognize that their past is not their identifier anymore, but their present and their future is. That they are not a crippled boy from Lodabar, but they are a child of God at the table of God. With the anointing and the authority of God. And the power of heaven that's ready to course for them. Lead us, God, into our next step. Lead us, God, into our next adventure. Lead us, God, into our next power. Yes, 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 yes. I want you to pray one more prayer and then I'll let them close this service out. But would you just begin to pray this? Release it in me, God. Just release it in me, God. Release the anointing. Release the gifting. Release the mercy. Release the grace. Let the windows of heaven open. Release it, oh God. Release it, oh God. Release it, oh God. Release it, oh God. Let the Holy One be released in the presence of Almighty God. 